Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning. Good morning and welcome again to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. This is Elder David Wise here with you this morning, and we'd invite you, if you're able to come worship with us in person in North Mississippi, we'd invite you to come see us at Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church outside Ackerman, Mississippi. Go check out our website too, macedonia-pbc.org. And you can also go see Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church outside Caledonia, Mississippi. And both of our churches meet for Sunday morning public worship every Sunday. Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., and then also we have a joint meeting on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. in Starkville, Mississippi at the La Quinta Inn. So we would love to meet you in person. If you are not in our area, we would love to hear from you. If you enjoy our program, you can go to our website at gospel-of-grace.com and you can get all of our past messages, subscribe to our podcast, find a church that's closer to you, and also be sure and send us an email if you enjoy the program and let us know through what medium you listen to. To our messages. We would certainly love to have that feedback from you. This morning, we'd like to bring you the second part of a message on the sinner's prayer as we try to answer, is the sinner's prayer biblical? So we'll bring you the second installment of that message this morning, right after this song. So please stay tuned with us here on the program today.
We find in Matthew chapter 19 the interaction between Jesus Christ and the rich young ruler. And actually the rich young ruler asked Jesus when he came up to him, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? You know, this was Jesus's perfect opportunity to set the record straight for all time what you need to do to go to heaven. How are men saved? How are men saved? You want to know what Jesus didn't say? He didn't say what we hear from pulpits all over Christianity today, and that's that if you believe and you pray unto God, you place your faith in Jesus, because he wanted to know how to go to heaven. He felt inadequate in his own self to go to heaven, and he knew there was something outside of him that needed to get him to heaven. And then Jesus went the exact opposite route of what we find in Christianity today. Preachers from pulpits all over the world today tell the sinner, you need to believe in Jesus Christ, you need to pray a prayer, and if you do that work, then you'll go to heaven. Well, you don't know what Jesus didn't say? He didn't say that at all. Instead, what he began to do is tear down the rich young ruler's idea of a work salvation because he came thinking, he came to Jesus thinking that there was something he could do, a work that he could perform to go to heaven. And Jesus spent this entire interaction tearing down that idea. You need to obey the whole law. And I've done that since I was a young man. I've obeyed the whole law, which you know that wasn't true either. None of us have obeyed the Ten Commandments perfectly, but he thought that he had. But then Jesus says, no, there's one thing that you lackest you need to go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And he wasn't willing to do that, and he went away sorrowful. But Jesus takes this opportunity, instead of clarifying that this is what you need to do to go to heaven, instead, Jesus tears down the rich young ruler's idea of a works salvation. He thought there was something he could do to earn eternal life, and Jesus tore that down brick by brick and made him realize there is nothing that you can do, not even praying a prayer, to go to heaven. So then the apostles say, well, man, this is a very good man. How can anyone be saved then? To which Jesus' answer was, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. In other words, there is nothing you can do outside of living a perfect life that can make you righteous before God to earn eternal life. There's nothing you can do outside of a perfect life, and the only person that was able to live a perfect life was Jesus Christ and we have been saved by his imputed righteousness. But understand, one prayer, praying one prayer, doing one work, cannot nullify a lifetime of sin. No, the only way we can be saved is by Jesus Christ. With man, salvation is impossible. But with God, all things are possible, right? That's what Jesus told the rich young ruler. We're saved by grace. We're not saved by works. You see, a prayer is something you do, right? A prayer is clearly something you do. And that makes prayer a work. When someone says you have to pray a prayer to go to heaven, they're saying you have to save yourself. You have to save yourself by work that you perform. But we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. Scripture is very adamant that we are saved by grace alone. 2 Timothy 1, 9, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Romans chapter 11, verse 6, if grace has any works, then it's not grace anymore. If work has any grace, it's not works anymore. Any grace that has works, at that point, it's not unmerited favor anymore. It's merited favor. It's something that you've earned, okay? So if you pray a prayer to go to heaven, you are saved by works. But we're not saved by works. We're saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross. And furthermore, just think about this sinner's prayer. At what point are you actually saved? At what point are you actually saved? When you confess your sin, when you invite Jesus into your heart, when you say amen, at what point of the prayer did you actually become born again? At what point in your prayer did you become an heaven-bought child of God? 
doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that one breath before amen, you're still unregenerate, but one breath after amen, you are born again. But furthermore, if that was the action that caused you to be born again, then what are you saved by? You're clearly saved by your prayer. You're saved by your works. You're saved by something you did, okay? So Jesus Christ has saved us on the cross. He finished the work of salvation. And if we think that there is an action that we perform that adds to the work of Jesus Christ, then we are robbing God of his glory. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14 says that we are to glory solely in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But instead, most people, and I know that most people don't understand the significance of what they're saying, but when they say, I prayed a prayer and I got saved, there should be no first person pronouns in our testimony for eternal salvation. Because if there is any first person pronouns, that means you did something to save yourself. You didn't. You didn't save yourself to heaven. I prayed the sinner's prayer and I got saved. No, you didn't. No, you did not get saved to heaven. Now, I'm sure you felt a deliverance and a peace and praise God for that. But you were not saved to heaven when you prayed that prayer. But when you make statements like that, you were saying that I contributed to my eternal salvation. What it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 is that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, when we do these things that we think that we've contributed to our eternal salvation, our nature is to boast. And there's a lot of people that put their confidence that truly boast in a prayer that they prayed to go to heaven. And I understand many people do it not understanding the significance of what they're saying, but you're saying that you saved yourself. You're saying that you're saved by works through your testimony even if you truly believe that you were saved by the unmerited favor of God. That's why your prayer cannot be the means by which you're saved to heaven. No, we're saved to heaven solely by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Furthermore, we're told to confess Jesus Christ as our Savior and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. That's in Romans chapter 10, particularly in verse 9. Well, anything you confess, that fact has to be true before you confess it. It's obvious that God is not requiring his people to bear false witness to something that's not yet true to make it true. You know, if someone confesses, then that means something's already happened that they're confessing to. I mean, you don't confess to make something true. You don't believe to make something true. Your belief has no bearing on the validity of a fact or a circumstance or an event, right? Your confession and your belief have no validity on, on anything other than the fact of your individual belief of that fact, okay? So when we confess something, we don't confess something that's not true, you know? If you're unregenerate when you begin that prayer, but then you confess Jesus as your Savior, well, he's not your Savior yet. You know, if you're not saved till amen, he's not your savior yet. So you're bearing false witness in the middle of your prayer? That doesn't make sense. You don't believe that Jesus is your savior to make him your savior? No, clearly you believe in Jesus because he is already your savior. You see, belief is the effect of eternal life, not the cause of it. When Jesus told his disciples how to pray, he said, you begin your model prayer with our father. Well, in the manner in which he told us to pray, it presupposes a prior family parental relationship, right? So it would be inappropriate to begin your prayer, the sinner's prayer, as calling God your father when he's not your father yet. 
No, clearly you would have to be a child, a son of God, before you can properly call God your father. There has to be a prior relationship. So we saw with Jesus and the rich young ruler that he did not take advantage of his opportunity to clarify for all of mankind, for all of history, what was necessary for eternal life. Instead, he said, look, there's nothing you can do to gain eternal life. And salvation is impossible with men, but it is possible with God by his grace. And we also look at Peter. Peter wasted his opportunity to call on men to pray the sinner's prayer too on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2 verses 37 to 38, these men were pricked in the heart. They were convicted. These people were already born again. The people that were convicted in their heart were described as being devout men in Acts chapter 2 and verse 5. These are people that are already born again. They were pricked in the heart They had a heart of flesh where they could feel the conviction of the preaching of the gospel. They feel that pricking. They feel that conviction. So they knew there was something they needed to do. They were feeling a conviction and a burden and a pricking over their sin, and they knew there was something they needed to do. Now, what did Peter say you needed to do? He didn't say you needed to pray the sinner's prayer. Now, he did say you need to repent and be baptized, and you do. You need to repent and be baptized if you are feeling that conviction of sin. But this invitation for repentance and baptism was unto them individually, but also unto as many as the Lord our God shall call. So that's interesting, right? Because Christianity says you have to call on the Lord to be saved. Well, actually, Peter said that, no, you can only call on the Lord after God's called you, after God's called you in the new birth. That calling in the new birth has to predate your calling on God in belief and prayer and confession. So these were people that were pricked in the heart. They were born again, devout men that had a heart that could be touched. And obviously this is in contradiction to those later on that were cut to the heart. They weren't pricked in the heart, they were cut to the heart. And instead of them saying, what shall we do? They gnashed on Stephen and others with their teeth. So these are people that are already born again. And we see the same thing in Acts chapter 10. Someone that is already born again who's seeking God, but he doesn't have the knowledge that he needs in the gospel. So we're introduced to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And at the beginning of that chapter, we're told he's a devout man who feared God with all of his house and gave much alms and prayed to God always. But he didn't just pray to God. His prayers and alms came up already as a memorial before God. So this is not a man that's unregenerate because we're going to see in just a minute, God does not hear the prayers of the wicked. He does not answer or hear the prayers of the unregenerate. No, someone already has to be born again for the Holy Spirit to make intercession for them. So that means Cornelius is already a born-again, blood-bought child of God, okay? There's a lot of people that try to make Cornelius being unregenerate prior to Peter showing up, but Scripture affirms that God already viewed him as accepted before he ever heard the gospel, okay? So Cornelius is a born-again man, and then they finally get Peter over to his house, and then he tells Peter, we are all present before God to hear all things that are commanded of thee. So in other words, you have a receptive audience. We're going to do whatever you tell us to do, Peter. And you want to know what Peter didn't say? (laughs) He didn't say you need to pray the sinner's prayer. He didn't say you need to do something. Instead, he looked at people that were seeking God, that were devout, that were inquiring unto the way of God. And his response was not that you're right on the brink of heaven and you've got to do something to secure eternal life. No, he says, praise God 
these people are already accepted with God. Of a truth, I perceive that God is not a respecter of persons, but in every nation, him that feareth him is already accepted with him. So Peter's response to seeing Cornelius was not to say, you know what, you're doing good, but you're right on the brink of heaven, but if you mess up, you could go to hell. I'll tell you, that is the message of so many evangelists today that, you know what, you're right on the brink of heaven, but if you don't pray this prayer, God's gonna send you to hell. You know what Peter said? Peter said, this is evidence that you are already accepted with God. You see, that's what we have to understand about prayer and belief and confession, is when someone exhibits those evidences, that is evidence that they are already born again. It doesn't mean that they're right on the verge of heaven, but they mess up, God's gonna send them to hell. No, it's evidence that they are already born again, but they just need more knowledge in the gospel. So now let's look at Proverbs chapter 15 and verses eight and verse 29, where we're gonna see that if someone begins a prayer as a unregenerate, wicked person, God can't even hear that prayer, okay? Proverbs chapter 15, verse eight, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. So God doesn't even have the ability to hear the prayers of the wicked. So if you begin the prayer as a wicked unregenerate, you'll never be born again because God can't hear your prayer. What's the only means by which God can even hear your prayer? Is by the intercession of Jesus Christ and by the intercession of the Holy Spirit according to the will of God. So what does that mean? That means you have to be born again before the Holy Spirit makes intercession to God on your behalf for your prayers. Who are the people whose prayers God does hear? He hears the prayers of the upright and the righteous. So people that have already been made righteous, people that have already been born again. And that's what we have to understand. Someone already has to be born again before they can pray this prayer to God. And they have to be born again and the Holy Spirit make an intercession for them for God to even hear their prayer. Again, Prayer, belief, and confession is the evidence that God has already quickened them, that the Holy Spirit already resides in them. Our prayers are never the means that initiates or causes the new birth or eternal life in our heart. So another significant aspect of the sinner's prayer that is patently unscriptural is the necessity for the sinner to invite Jesus to come into your heart. For some reason, the majority of Christianity believes that God is sovereign, he's omnipotent, he's the king of the universe, and he can go anywhere and do anything he wants except go into the heart of the stubborn sinner unless that person lets him in by praying a prayer. That doesn't make any sense. God has all power in heaven and on earth, but he can't get into the heart of a dead alien sinner. So scripture makes it very clear that God does as he pleases, when he pleases, where he pleases, and to what extent he pleases. Daniel chapter four, verse 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. You know, there's a lot of people that think that the dead alien sinner is strong enough to resist the power of the sovereign God desiring to come into his heart. Oh, well, God can't go into their heart unless they let him. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? 
does the dead alien sinner have the right to stay the hand of God and say, no, you can't come into my heart? No, of course not. That's foolishness. God is everywhere present and he's nowhere absent. And that is not excluded to the heart of the stubborn sinner. God does not request an invitation to come into your heart. He comes in sovereignly and powerfully changes the heart of the dead alien sinner. So where this idea comes from is a unscriptural interpretation of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Jesus says unto the church at Laodicea here, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. So who is Jesus speaking to here? He's not speaking to the unregenerate. He's not speaking to the world. This letter is written to the church of the Laodiceans. It's not written to the unregenerate. This letter is written to those that he loves who are being chastened and rebuked by the Lord. That's verse 19. Jesus is not requesting for the dead alien sinner to let him into his heart. No, Jesus is requesting the lukewarm church of the Laodiceans that apparently had left Jesus outside the church. No, you open the door back to me so I can have fellowship with my church, with my ecclesia, my called out assembly. They had excluded Jesus from the church, and they needed to let Jesus back in. Which, furthermore, if this is a dead alien sinner that's not born again, that's having to open the door of their heart, well, how are you going to open that door? How's that dead person going to open the door? When's the last time a dead person did anything? A dead person can't open the door to anybody. You understand that if the unregenerate, dead alien sinner has to open the door to Jesus Christ to come into their heart, no one would ever be saved. No one would ever be, ever be quickened. No, this is speaking to the church. And Jesus is desiring fellowship with his church. It's not speaking to the dead alien sinner who has to open the door of his heart to Jesus Christ. No, how does God get into the heart? How does Jesus get into the heart of the child of God? God's not calling softly and tenderly and asking for your permission to come into your heart. No, Jesus comes and he sovereignly kicks down the door of your heart and he overpowers the dead alien sinner's heart and the new birth and gives us a new nature and a, we're born again as a new creature and we are quickened to life by the life-giving power of the Son of God, of the voice of the Son of God speaking to those that are dead in sin and giving us life. God does not need your invitation to come into your heart. God comes and he kicks down the door of your heart. Did Saul of Tarsus invite Jesus into his heart when he was breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the church? No. How was Saul of Tarsus born again? He didn't invite Jesus into his heart. Jesus came and he kicked down the door of his heart. He struck down Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. He overpowered him. He blinded him. And he was immediately conformed into the image of Jesus Christ in his soul. And then he, he had to get some knowledge from Ananias after that. And he confessed Jesus Christ. And he received a salvation and a deliverance after being burned over his sin for three days, being blind and not eating anything. So he got saved when he prayed and when he was baptized. But I'll tell you, Saul of Tarsus did not invite Jesus in his heart. Jesus came and he overpowered him and he made him willing in the day of his power. And that's what God does to every child of God. He comes in and he takes over. He takes over their heart. He takes over their life. Did John the Baptist invite Jesus in his heart when he was in his mother's womb? We find in Luke chapter 1 that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. He leapt with joy in the womb of his mother, showing the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit and the new birth while he was still in the womb. 
So how was John the Baptist born again? He didn't invite Jesus into his heart. Guess what? Jesus Christ wasn't even born yet. He didn't even have the ability to invite Jesus into his heart. No, he was born again by the sovereign, immediate working of the Holy Spirit on the heart of John the Baptist, even in the mother's womb. Now, we also understand from John chapter 3 and verse 8 that every child of God is born again in the exact same way, okay? So how is the child of God born again? child of God is not born again by inviting Jesus into their heart. That doesn't work with Saul. It doesn't work with John the Baptist. doesn't work with those in foreign countries out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue that are among the family of God. No. How are sinners born again? They're born again by the wind blowing where it listeth. They're born again by the sovereign, immediate working of the Holy Spirit upon the heart of the dead alien sinner. Okay? God does not need your invitation. Jesus Christ does not need your permission to come into your heart. No, he is sovereign. And God does as he pleases, how he pleases, and when he pleases, particularly in the new birth. And according to the time that is appointed by God and is good in his sight, he comes into the heart of the dead lady and sinner, and he borns them again. And every child of God is born again in the exact same way. Not by inviting Jesus into your heart, but by the direct, immediate, overpowering, quickening of Jesus Christ in the heart of the sinner. If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. To find a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast, entitled The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Radio Broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road, on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful.